0: Well, good morning, friends and family. So good to see you with us today. Oh, it's great to be home and back together. Quick show of hands. How many of you have been out of town sometime over the past two weeks? Uh, Show of hands. Man, welcome home, welcome home. How many of you are glad that your kids are going back to school? Let's see some hands. How many of you kids are glad that you're going back to school? I know, I know. My dad always said that he got depressed in the fall when he saw school buses. I was like, why? He's like, well, because I get PTSD flashbacks when I had to go to school. And so, but so glad that you're home with us today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. Welcome to Clear Creek. Look, if you're not a part of a family of faith, or if you're kicking the tires of faith, we want you to know this is a safe place to ask questions. You don't have to believe everything to belong here. We simply invite you to take your next step with us because we're all trying to figure this thing out as well. Let me tell you one thing we have figured out. Jesus is worth everything. And he loves you more than you can imagine. You need to know that your sin is not so great. It is not so big that Jesus Christ has not and cannot remove it from you and give you a better hope, life, and yes, future. If that sounds good, we invite you to join us in this journey called Faith with Jesus Christ. We're going to get in today to part two of our series called Just Like Barnabas. Now, before I get into it, just honor to whom honor is due, much of today what I'm going to share with you, I first heard from a guy I greatly admire. He's an author and speaker named Mike Glenn, and so if it sounds smart or insightful, I give him credit for it. With that said, I want to give you just a quick recap of where we came from, and then where we're going over the next weeks and then today. So, we started last week with this big idea that we live in a world that is in desperate need of greater levels of encouragement. I don't care if you believe in Jesus, if you're agnostic, if you're atheistic, does not matter, we would all agree that we could use more encouragement. After all, the word encourage literally means to give heart. And we live in a heartless society where everyone is destroying the heart that you already have. And so if we can agree on nothing else, let's agree that as a people, we will be able to do greater things and be a greater blessing if we will learn the art of encouragement. And we're looking at the life of this one man whose nickname is Barnabas. And what I think is so compelling about his life is that unlike some of the all-stars of the Christian faith, people like Peter, Paul, and Mary, no, I'm not talking about the rock band in the 60s, okay, Who has any clue what I just referenced? Well, thank you for making a guy feel lonely up here. I appreciate that a lot. For the rest of you, Google it. Where that said, in the church, you've got these all-stars. You have Paul, who wrote a third of the Bible. You have Peter, the big mouth Who walked on water, went under the water, came up out of the water because Jesus was with him. The one who denied Christ but then became the rock on which Christ's church was built. Meaning he was one of the leaders in the church. And you go, wow. And then you see Mary, the mother of Jesus. Ladies, can we just be honest? Being a parent is intimidating enough. Can you imagine going to church with the woman who raises God's son? You are talking about, well, you know, I feed my kids these and we do this, and she goes, Oh well, that's that's nice. I feed God this. How many of us would feel a little intimidated? And yet we go, Oh, I can never be like these people and then we meet, and then we meet this one person named Barnabas, who's a typical person except for he lived in an atypical kind of life. And next week, we're going to look at what it was that caused this. We're not going to get into it today, but here's what you need to know. Come back next week because we're going to see why and how he was able to be the kind of man, the kind of person God created him to be. But today, here's where I want us to go. We're simply going to answer the question, how do you encourage? I want to show you one way that we encourage. Because when we talk about encouragement, we often think of the words we say. And it is true. It is important that we say words that encourage, that inspire, that bless, that build up. Friends, gossip has no place in the Lord's church. Backbiting has no place in the Lord's church. And you may call it sharing a prayer request, but if it is out of school or it's about someone and they're not present, it's gossip. We have no business with that. Amen? Well, two of us agree. But the church uses its words to bless, to build up, to encourage, to inspire. But is that all that encouragement is? And the answer is no, it is not. In fact, here's a fun stat for you. When you communicate with someone, you all have heard this. There's multiple ways that we communicate with each other. We certainly use certain words, correct? Our words are a communication tool. But then there's this other thing, this big category that we've all heard about called nonverbals. And the statistic goes something like this, between 70... And 93% of all communication is nonverbal. Nonverbal communication, that's the way you look at someone. By the way, when you're talking to someone, if your eyes are looking over them or around, they are getting the message, you are not listening to them or they don't matter, correct? So our eyes, our posture, this posture says, leave me alone. This one is more open and correct? So there are ways that we communicate, tone of voice, the way that we are close or step back from people, all these non-verbals. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. For Barnabas, a man to be called an encourager means for him to live encouragement. Means that he does more than speak certain ways. He lives an encouraging life. So what does that look like? Well, let me, let me give it to you this way. Have you ever had a conversation or heard a conversation? People are debating a concept or an idea, and finally one of them will look at the other and say this phrase, put your money where your what? Mouth is. In other words, you're saying, hey, I don't buy it unless you're willing to put up something behind it. Raise the stakes demonstrate you really believe what you're talking about. And then you have that moment where someone does not live out what they purport to believe, and you say, well, see, it was all words, no life, all words, no action. And what we come to find out is that this is never what Scripture teaches. In fact, God, Jesus himself, never says, put your money where your mouth is, church. What he says is that you will put your money where your heart is. You say, what does this have to do with Barnabas? I'm getting there, but hang with me. He says that your money is an indicator of your heart, your passion, your interests, your value system. And Jesus himself says one of the ways that we live into the fullness of who God has called us to be is that we are generous with our money. Now, the reason sometimes talking about money is so awkward and uncomfortable is because it says something about our heart, right? But I want us to maybe be courageous this morning and step into this conversation about generosity. Because to be an encourager means you live more than just words. You live by actions. In fact, this is the first thing that we learn about this man named Barnabas. If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to read those verses from last week again. Verse 36 and 37 say this. Joseph... A Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So there's a guy named Joseph, but because when he is around, life is better. In fact, they called him because he was such an encouragement. When the apostles were handing out nicknames, they were like, oh, you'll be Barnabas. Now, some of us were joking last week, what is the plural of Barnabas? And some of us said, well, is it Barnabai? Or is it Barnabas's or whatever? Well, here's a little fun fact here. This word, it's a Hebrew word, and it's a couple parts. This first part, bar, means son of. Everybody say bar. So you'll have bar, son of, and then... We see it as Namus. Now, there's a couple possible translations. Maybe it comes from the word nabi, which refers to prophet, uh, son of the prophet, because prophets were those who gave words to the people from God, and often they were to encourage and exhort. So, he's the son of encouragement. So, we don't know very much about Barnabas. We know that he was a Hebrew from the tribe of Levi. He comes from this little Mediterranean island of Cyprus, And because he was such an encourager, the Christians said, people are better when you're around. When you walk in the room, people light up. They feel like they can go farther, go faster, do more. I think about so many within our church who are like that. I've said it before, but Don, Don Haynes right back here is one of our former elders. He is one of the Barnabases in my life. When you show up, I am better. I'm encouraged by you. I think about Hannah Window right over here who is such a blessing to our kids and when she's around, they are inspired to do things they otherwise don't do. Do you guys know Barnabas' people like this? I would love to be a part of a church and I believe we are that is full of people who may not be Peters and Pauls and Marys but we can all be men and women who leverage our space and our presence to bless other people. To say, you can do more. You can be more than the world says that you have been. So the first thing we know is that he is an encourager. But then, but then, notice this: the only other detail, the only other detail we get. Do you notice what it is? He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Tied to the words we use is the way that we are generous with our finances. The first thing we see, if you want to live an encouraging life, one of the first places that we look to know what kind of person you are is the way that you give, because isn't it true our money represents where our value system lies, what is important to us. In fact, generosity tells us this. Go ahead and put this next slide up. It is a private decision before it's made public. Generosity is that moment, this private battle where we determine what do we value as individuals, what is important to us as individuals, what will we esteem and honor. And the way you know what you esteem, honor, and value is often based on how you use your finances. Let's just do a little illustration. I have two children. They are the, just the, the apple of my eye. I love my kids. But friends, I don't know if you know this, kids are expensive, They like to do this thing called eat, and the older they get, the more they do this thing called eating. Any parents here? Just go. I mean, it's just a bottomless trash can. If I mean, you walk by their mouths like cookie monster over here. So we got to feed them. We've got to clothe them. We take them to school. We take them to activities. We pay for those activities. Believe it or not, they like toys, and so we get them toys. And they like to have a roof over their heads, and they'd like to have their own rooms. Kids are expensive. In fact, if I, I did the numbers, if I were to stop paying for all the things for them, do you know how much money I would have left? All of it. But my money goes to my kids because why? I value them. They are the important pieces of my life. So your generosity is a private decision where you put your money is a private decision that we only learn about publicly later after you've made the decision. Isn't that right? The first thing we see is that Barnabas, because of the man he was, the kind of encourager he was, he recognized something that Josh Diggs forgets sometimes, and maybe you do too. He realized and remembered that he does not own his stuff, and he does not want to be owned by his stuff. Rather, he is a steward of the gifts of God. And he was going to leverage the gifts of God, both the words he spoke, but the money he has to bless others, to say, you can do it, and I'm here to help. You're not alone. Isn't it true that money is one of the places that many of us find ourselves most fearful and most alone? We look at what we have, we look at what we don't have, and we go, how am I going to make this work? And yet when someone comes along... That says, you can do it, I'm here to help. How many of us are where we are today because of the generosity of someone else? See, don't underestimate the power of generosity in giving courage to people who desperately need it. See, generosity says, and generosity is a private decision before it's made public, but number two, generosity is one of the first hard steps a disciple makes. It's one of the first hard steps, isn't it? we all know how this works, right? You come to faith, and then you find that person who is a Christ follower, and you say, what's next? And they say, here's simple next steps. Read your Bible. Pray. Put to death the sins that you have wrestled with. Begin to ask the Lord's help, and begin to work with the Holy Spirit. So don't cuss, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't put certain things in front of your eyes that cause uh anything less than honoring god and and so you say okay i've done those things they say what's next you say okay you need to go to church be a part of a community that will encourage and inspire you and that you can encourage and inspire okay i'm doing that i'm great great what's next and your friend will say you need to begin tithing excuse me what is this like paying your dues so I can sit here, I have to pay? For it? No, 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 that's not what it is, but what it is is a tithe literally means 10%. Now let me help some of you guys out here, just if you're, you're not a math major like me, this may help you. A tithe means one-tenth of everything you have, okay? So if you give $1, unless you make $10, that's not a tithe. Or are we tracking together? I know this is hard math, but just hang with me here. And so they say, tithe, why, why, okay. And so you start to process and you look at your calendar. And you say, well, there's 30 days in a month, maybe 31. And this is how much money I have. There is no way that I have enough money to cover the month and be generous. Are you kidding me? In this economy, in this world, in this uncertainty, I cannot afford to be generous. This is the first hard Decision that most of us make, and there's a reality that many of us don't want to face, but it's the truth. Many of us are stuck spiritually because we are stuck here, aren't we? See, God will never teach you the next step until we learn to do the first step. I have a friend, his church was growing, and they wanted to reach a particular part of town, and so they decided they were going to have another church location there. Well, he talked to a friend who knew the area very well, and that friend said, There is no way you guys can afford it there's nothing open there's no buildings there's no land you can't do it and my friend said the lord has called us to do this we will obey him if he does if we take this first step he will show us the second step but he will not often show you the second step until you obey him with what he has already told you to do So they went ahead. They, as a church, said yes. They looked, and the people who were heading up that plant started walking the area, praying over the area, and lo and behold, a store opens that they could retrofit into a building, and it just so happened to be within the budget that they had agreed upon as a church. And he goes back to his friend, and he says, as we were obedient in the first step, God showed us the next step. You remember the story in the Old Testament where the Israelites come to the Jordan River? And they want to cross over into the new promised land. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. And the flood waters are there. And they're saying, how will we cross over? And God says, put your foot in the river. Well, it's still flooding. Put your foot in the Yeah, but look, we'll get swept away. Put your foot in the river. And when they obeyed the first step, the waters parted and they could take their next step. See, many of us will not grow until we learn this first lesson of discipleship, that we trust God with what we have. Friends, if he died for your sins, can you not trust him with your finances as well? Don't answer it because I know that's a hard question. But this is the first step for so many of us. Now, when we think about generosity, one of the reasons we struggle with this is because we look at where things are, we look at how things are going around us, and we don't know for sure if God can be trusted with what we have. And some people, I I love it, some new people, they'll say things like, they'll say, you know, the New Testament. God never talks about tithing in the New Testament. It's amazing to me. New Christians become experts on tithing in the New Testament. And so they'll say, well, there's never an example of it. So they are correct and incorrect. And here's what I mean. Did you know that Jesus actually does teach tithing in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says this. I want you to see this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite is someone who would wear a mask. It was an actor on a stage wearing a mask, pretending to be a particular character while being someone else in real life. So, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something when they're not. He says, you pretend to be something that you're not. You give a tenth, a tithe, And notice they are so committed to this that he says you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. Can you imagine what it would be like to try to make sure you gave a tenth of your spices? No, no. Oop, that's one too many. Dink. Got a tenth. He says you tithe, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. Now notice this, he says, you should have practiced the latter of justice, mercy, and faith. He says, yes, of course, you should focus on those things. But, notice what he then says. Without neglecting the former of tithing. So Jesus himself does not do away with it. He says, of course, but hear me now. The standard of generosity in the New Testament does not end at tithing. Rather, the standard has been changed and raised. You say, what is it, Josh? Let me give you what the new standard of giving is for those of us in Christ. Are you ready? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that... Say these two words. Let's say it again. His one and only Son. The standard of giving for you and me is the precious life of Jesus Christ. And when we stand before the cross of God, when we stand there and we receive forgiveness, we as His followers do not debate percentages. We do not sing, I surrender 10%. (laughs) We give Him all. And the call of Christ, the call is to say, be generous as you are with your words to live generous lives. And by the way, just as an aside, I have found in my own life, the more uncomfortable I am listening to a message, usually that's the message I need to hear the most. Because it shows me something in my life I would need to look into more deeply. So how do we work on this? Let's just get real for a moment. How do we start? If we want to become more generous people, some of you, you're already doing so much more on this, and you're doing great. But let me just kind of help us all out. Three things. Number one, first thing, find your money. Before you can give your money, you need to know where it is. For so many of us, isn't it true that we feel like our money, like there's a hole in our pocket, and you reach in there, and you know there was money there a moment ago, you look down, and across the street is your dollar bills going, and they're just like fleeing from you. The first thing to do is to find your money. Where is it going? What are you spending your money on? There's a word for this. Are you ready for the word? It's the word budget. Ugh. But, but, but listen, listen, this is one of the greatest gifts from God because as stewards of God's gifts, we can know where our money, His money, God's money is going so that we are no longer tied down with worry because so many of us don't know where our money is going. We don't know what's happening with our finances. We live in a constant state of stress and panic. There's more month than there is money. And so what happens is some of you, you'll have a spouse who may be the spender in the relationship, and they see something that they just need, or they just need it. And so they buy it, they come home wearing it, showing it, whatever it may be, and you go orbital. Why did you buy that? Don't you know money is tight? na 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 And now it becomes this big fight, and you as a couple enter in the second great ice age. Because there is stress with money. Hear me now, friends. God never intended for you to live in that constant state of anxiety. Now, I'm not saying health, wealth, prosperity, blab it and grab it. That's not gospel either. But God never designed you to live so stressed out about money that you're incapable of living for him in the way he's called you to live. So the first step is find where your money's going. It's not that difficult to do. You need a pen or pencil, and you need a legal pad. Write down your expenses. If you need help, we can help you. We have people who do this. They'll help you with a budget. They'll help you figure out how to organize things. We'll get you a system in place so that you are able to begin the process of first experiencing the freedom that God wants you to have that then frees you to be generous with what God has given you. Now, after you figure out what you have, the second thing is you need to figure this out. Care for your needs. Now, notice the word I used here. What's this word, church? Needs. Notice what word I did not use, church. There's a difference between what Josh digs, needs, and wants. So at the end of the meal, the waiter will come up and say, Josh, would you like dessert? And I'll say, yes! I want all of your desserts. I'm not going to take them, but I want them. Take care of your needs. Your needs and my needs are very few. You need oxygen. You need food, water. You need clothing. We all are so grateful for it on a cool day like today. Amen? You need a place to cover your head so you're safe. And you need a community of believers or people around you to do life with. You say, Josh, what about a job? I need a job. No, no, no. The job is to support the actual needs. Do you see what I'm saying? Our needs are very few. But we live in a culture that has defined needs so broadly because we live in a culture and in a world where the economy is based on you and me buying stuff. And so there are people who are really smart, who spend all their time figuring out ways to tell you what you want is what you really need. And so you're constantly buying more stuff simply because you have been sold a lie that you need something you don't need. It's funny, I'll I'll get comments from college friends, and I'm not picking on you at all, but they'll say, Josh, how did you guys live without cell phones? Pretty easily, actually. We had one at home. How many of you remember the home phone? And it was a great thing. You'd call someone, and we never lost the home phone. Why? Because if you walked too far away from the base, this wonderful thing called a cord would pull you back. It was the umbilical cord to the phone. It was great. But what about the Internet, Josh? How did you ever live without cat videos? We thought the internet was going to change our world, our economy, the way we did business and communication. And yeah, it did all those, but what is it we spend our time doing? Watching cat videos or silly little things here or TikTok videos there. How many of us now spend more time deleting emails than reading emails? But I needed it. Figure out, care for your needs. Be clear in your mind, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to figure out that you've got this big old bag of wants that are no longer as important to you when you say, this is what I need, and my God is supplying all of my needs. And then third and final thing, discipline your desires. Do you know what one of the most powerful words in the English language is? It's no. But I want no. Are desires bad, church? No, 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 we're going to practice this word, okay? The answer is no, by the way, okay? Are desires bad, church? No. But they become bad when they become our God, that they control how we think, feel, or behave. See, encouragement and being an encourager to others begins by us finding the freedom in Christ to say, I am more than my wants I am more than my desires. I am who Christ has said I am. For when I know who I am in him, what I own no longer owns me. And I am able to be free and open my hands to the people of God so that the will of God may be done in the church of God. This is what we're talking about. So you say, okay, so, so why? Why are we talking about all this? Here's why. We have a lot going on and there's a lot to do. By the way, before I put this up, let me just answer a question that I know I'm going to be asked. So, Josh, are you saying we have to give 10%? Let me, let me just say to you, I don't care about percentages. And if you ask our elders, I'm guessing to a person, they will not legalistically say, you've got to have 10%. I believe the Bible says that is the starting point for Christians. But, I, but let's just start here. Some of you this morning, you're saying, there's no way I can give 10%. Fine. Let's just start here. Can you give $50? Can you do that? See, at the end of all this, when you start to look at your needs versus wants, when you start to discipline your desires, can you find $50? And here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to the end of this process, and you're going to look at what you have, and you're going to say to your family, to your spouse, to your roommate, I can give $50, that is the depth of my faith right now. And if you tell the Lord, God, this is all I can believe in today, but I'm going to trust you with $50 this month. I can do this. I'll do this for this month. Here's what's going to happen. He's going to grow your capacity to trust him and to discipline your desires more. And you will begin to see that that 50 becomes 75. And then 100. And then before you know it, you're going to be tithing. But I don't want to talk about that this morning because it'll scare some of you to death. But here's the thing, I don't care about percentages. Here's what I care about and what I believe Scripture teaches. Just start. Well, the church just wants my money. Friends, if you have any doubt to the heart of the leadership of this church and finances, then here's what I'm asking you to do. Start giving somewhere else. But just start. It's not about how much you give to a particular church that matters. It's that you will be freed from greed and experience the freedom of God so as the people of God we may be generous. Now, let me tell you why this matters real quickly here. There's a lot going on in this city and through this church that you are a part of and you may not even know it. Just this past week, let me tell you a great story. This past week, our team that went to Haiti to do surgeries, eye surgeries for so many people, they just got back this past week and I want you to know your generosity, what you're giving today, actually helps fund trips like that and actually helped fund that trip where, get this, our team in Haiti served over 900 people. There are parents today who can see their children for the first time because of your generosity. Isn't that incredible? You're a part of this. I think about... Bethel Bible Village, and how because of your generosity, this church is caring for them. You say, what's Bethel Bible Village? Well, Bethel Bible Village is an organization, a group here in our community that takes in teenagers who are having a hard time, children who are having a hard time, and they give them structure and care, and they launch them back home better than when they came in. And we've been long-time supporters of Bethel Bible Village, but you need to know that we just recently gave a special donation from this church's offerings so that, so that they not only are able to care for the kids while they are in their space, but when those kids go back to their parents and their guardians, Bethel Bible Village is able to follow them home and continue to care for them. How do you change a generation of despair and discouragement? You tell them, you can do this, and we are here to help. You don't go alone. Your generosity is making that possible. Let me give you one last one. Bibles in Schools is an organization that here in Hamilton County has a 100-year time. In fact, you know, in our public schools, we have some fantastic, godly teachers and administrators in our schools, but many of them are not able to communicate the scriptures or their faith without some issues. Am I right? They have to be thoughtful about it. But did you know that Bibles in schools, in the schools will come in and they will offer elective classes that students may choose to take where kids who will never hear the name of Jesus from someone who knows Jesus except for the class they take. So they'll come in and they'll read the Bible. They'll look at the history. They'll look at the genre. And because it is a class, we can get away with teaching them about a God that loves them and that their lives don't have to end how their lives began. And because of your generosity, we're able to continue funding that and growing that ministry so that more students know more about Jesus Christ. Is this giving encouragement to our city? You bet it is. See, listen, becoming like Barnabas, being someone who says, I will spend my life on others may begin with words, but it goes to every part of our lives. Now, I know some of you are saying, why are we talking about this? Here's the reason. Everything we've just talked about is not ultimately about a man who was given a nickname Barnabas. It's about a man named Jesus Christ who with his very life gave heart, gave courage to us. The Old Testament prophet said through, God said through him, that I will give you a new heart. I'll take away that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will give you a new name and I will make you a new people. And God came through Jesus Christ and he gave. And because of the power of the resurrected king, one man began to live a life that was different from all the others. And we get to be called into that today. If you will, let's bow. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have given us all that we need for life and godliness. And one of those things that you give us is the finances to do the things we need to do and to be able to witness firsthand your generosity. What a good God you are that you don't simply bypass us and give to others. But you let us be a part of your generosity chain, receiving from you and giving to others. God, I want to be more a part of that. In this church, we want to be more a part of that. Show us ways that we as individuals can be more generous so that we can give heart to others, so others will know you and love you. We thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.